This is Isan. This is Greg. And this is Paul. This is another episode of Film Addicts, ladies and gentlemen, uh, where we go ahead and we discuss the American Film Institute's top 100 greatest American films of all time, going into depth each episode into one of these amazing movies. We're working our way from number 100 to number one. For those who don't know, uh, the AFI list of the 100 greatest American films is a list that was originally devised in 1998 where you know, 1,500 leaders from across the American film community, community voted on a list of 400 nominee movies to pick the top 100. Uh, the list was again voted on 10 years later in 2007, so we're using the 2007 list. And today's film is Do the Right Thing by Spike Lee. Greg, why don't you throw out some cool facts about this movie? Do the Right Thing came out in 1989. It was written, directed, and produced by Spike Lee. Probably his defining movie, I would guess. What, you don't think so? No, I think so. Yeah, okay. For people that watch movies, for everyone else, Spike Lee's defining moment is sitting on the edge of Nick's games. I, <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's true. Yeah, so written, directed, produced by Spike Lee. Spike Lee himself, Danny Aiello, Ozzy Davis, Ruby D, a very young John Turturro, Martin Lawrence... A lot of people are in this movie. It is, in my opinion, carried heavily by Spike, Danny Aiello, and and for me, John Turturro, too. So, so many, like, young African-American actors that become famous later on. Martin Lawrence's first feature film. Yeah. But I, but he doesn't, like... I mean, I guess we get into this during acting. He doesn't, like, stand out to me. Yeah, no. He's not as funny as he normally is. He also just doesn't seem as confident. Like, you can tell he's yeah, just very young. Sure. So, it was 96... On uh, the anniversary list, it was not on the original list. So it was nominated for two Oscars, Best Supporting Actor, Danny Aiello, and Best Original Screenplay for Spike Lee. Uh, Danny Aiello lost to another kind of civil rights-esque movie. He lost to Denzel Washington for Glory. Best Original Screenplay, Spike Lee lost to Dead Poets Society. So for anyone who hasn't seen the movie, go watch it. But here's the basic rundown. It's a film about a very hot summer day in the life of residents of Brooklyn, New York, and their struggles with racism. So Spike Lee is the primary character of the film named Mookie. He's a pizza delivery boy who works for Sal's Pizza Company, along with Sal and his two sons, Pino and Vito. A resident of the neighborhood, quote unquote, bugging out, wants Sal's wall of fame. And Sal and his family are, I'm assuming, Italian to include black actors instead of the all-white Italian photos that Sal has chosen to hang. Anger and aggression fester throughout the day until finally violence ensues. So why don't we talk a little bit about uh, kind of our initial thoughts on the film. Isan, you want to kick us off? We did this podcast once before, and then we lost it because we're super computer geniuses. So <laughs> it's going to be a bit of a rehash. and For us. Yeah. yeah. And I was kind of nervous about talking about it again because it's a very exhausting movie to watch. Mm-hmm. Some good ways, some bad ways. What about you, Greg? Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty deep movie. And I will say, so we'll preface it with all three of us are heterosexual white males so I think that it can sometimes be difficult for us to comment on these types of things or look at these types of issues from the same lens that other people look at them, right? So the first time we did the podcast, like Isan said, we did it, and then we accidentally just didn't save it or lost it somehow. It was, I think it's it is just difficult for us to connect, maybe not connect is the, is the right word. I don't even know how to describe it. I mean, it's like, it's very difficult to vocalize or give a true analysis when we haven't necessarily lived the lives that these people have lived as well. Spike Lee wrote this movie from a perspective that we can never understand. We then critique this movie from a perspective that I would say he could understand far better than we can understand his. So it makes it difficult for us in this podcast, or at least for me in this podcast. But I had not, before... We did our first podcast. I had not seen this before. So, Isan, had you seen it before? No, I hadn't seen it before. But I had seen Inside Man by Spike Lee, which I was, like, a crazy huge fan of. So I was, like, really on board with seeing his other movies. I mean, for me, it's really hard to separate the artist from the art. And I wouldn't say that I'm, like, the most giant fan of Spike Lee as an individual, especially watching uh, the 30 for 30 uh 
Reggie Miller versus the New York Knicks. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. That made me like him. Oh, I made me he's like Reggie like a, Miller. He's just like a fan. I do like Reggie Miller. Yeah, I was born in Indiana, so like Reggie Miller was like my hero for like <laughs> until I was 10. And then I moved, but he was still my hero. I had not seen it before, but for this podcast, we're all kind of speaking from a place where we have seen it before because we saw it last time when we did the film. Yeah, and I we're originally recording. saw it in high school, and it was it was probably... And my earliest exposure to a film that Isan, as you said, was exhausting. In my opinion, it was aggravating because it's a movie that is very emotionally draining and frustrating to watch because there's so much heat and anger. And I mean, we'll talk about all of that. But when I originally watched it, I had a I did not have the same appreciation that I had for it this time. But it was still, as you said, a very exhausting movie for me to watch. What, what class did you watch it in? It was a film fiction. It's it was called fiction and film, but it okay. was a movie in high school. Uh, your high school yeah. sounds dope. Yeah. <laughs> that was one of my favorite classes. By far. what other movies did you watch in that class? Uh, Apocalypse Now. I Reese love Head. Apocalypse Now. Jeez, uh, I, I would have. I think it's even threw Star Wars in there, but that was well. Star Wars is fine. I so think, so I guess it, like it. already the three movies that you just named to me. As far as like, well, I don't know about Star Wars. You know, I'm not like the biggest. Star yeah, Wars they're fan, still all on the AFI list. Apocalypse Now. Yep. David, uh, a David Lynch film pick, whichever one you want. Yeah. Star Wars. Those are hugely impactful. And then do the and right do thing. The right thing yeah. I would so argue. I would job. argue that this movie is as impactful as those three. Mm-hmm. So. But Paul, you maybe not to film. Though. Yeah. Maybe not as impactful to film. Yeah. But impactful enough for society, at least. Yeah, in modern variety day. ranked uh, "Do the Right Thing" as I think number twenty-two on its twenty-five most controversial films ever. Only twenty-two. Yeah, Did but you, I mean, what, what was like above it? Oh, yeah. I don't know. I knew you were going to ask me that. And I should have looked for that, <laughs> but I forgot. That's <laughs> okay. That. I'm wondering. Twenty-two seems kind of low. I feel like it should be a little bit higher. Well, let's play a small guessing game. We'll guess one or two films that are on it, and we'll look at it up, and then we'll talk about it next time. And see if we got any right. <laughs> if I had to guess. One would be All Quiet on the Western Front because it got banned at one point and was on the original AFI. Most controversial movies? That's my number one guess. I guess with, like, the most recent stuff about Brando, I would just say Last Tango in Paris, maybe. Mm. With, like, the whole rape allegation stuff. But, I mean, that might not have necessarily came out beforehand. Midnight Cowboy would be, like, another Oh, yeah, because that was, like, the first X-rated movie that made it out. Yeah. That could be. This is a fun game. Let's just do this. Well, we'll check check it out next time. Uh, So, Paul, but you went to high school with, like, a lot of people that weren't white, right? Yeah, but it was in Hawaii, so it's... not. I was just wondering if they talked about, like, what happened when you guys saw it, even back then. Oh, yeah, I mean, we absolutely did. But uh, in Hawaii, it is a cultural melting pot. Hmm. Caucasians are... The min- or tend to be the minority in a lot of places uh, in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's much more mixed than it is here in Colorado, that's yeah. for sure. But, you know, at the same time, it's not it's not the continental U.S., so it's, it's mixed, but it's different. That's another good point, too, is that we are all in Colorado, and Colorado has a very low African-American population, which will probably skew kind of our thoughts on this. So mm-hmm. yeah, Let's I mean, get into overheads oh, yeah, there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I had... Very little interaction with a lot of people. I mean, when I was a little kid, we would go to mosque and I would see like tons of different people. I mean, just like Malcolm X when he went to like Mecca, mm-hmm. you know, you see like tons of different people at the same place doing the same thing. And now I work at public health center. 98% of the patients that I see are Mexican-American, African-American, or straight from Africa. So, I don't know, I see a lot of different people now, but, I mean, my worldview has very much changed in the last few years since I've been working there. So, hmm. I can't imagine, like, living your whole life in a totally different Yeah. Way. I mean, you did grow up in a mountain town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, like, only, super small town. Yeah, Only yeah. white mountain men. You yeah, know? yeah. So. <laughs> no ladies. Well, let's, I mean, let's get into it. I mean, what topic do we want to talk about, you know, first? Right? Uh, I think we should probably save major theme for later, because that's going to be a huge deepest. thing. I mean, I one of my favorite things to always talk about is acting. Who do you do think did the best job, Greg? Me? Well, okay. That's a difficult question. <laughs> I liked a lot of people. If I personally had to choose, I would probably say I think John Turturro did a really good job. Mm. But I'm a very big John Turturro fan. As am I. Super huge. If I have to, if I'm actually making like a critical choice, mm-hmm. I would say Ozzy Davis as oh, the mayor. Oh, nice. What about you, Paul? Maybe Ozzie Davis is a good selection, but I think all a lot of the characters in this film are boiled down to this like 
not not super complex. I don't, I don't know if stereotype is the right word, but one of the things about this film that stands out to me is everybody has their very clear, distinct angle that mm-hmm. they're going for. So the acting to me does not seem particularly subtle. And I oh, guess that's my whole issue I with this understand. film in general is it's not subtle. Yeah, I think you could, if you gave two descriptors of each acting performance, we would know exactly who we were talking about. Like, almost <laughs> Is that what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It, they aren't like super crazy complex and sometimes when you don't have a complex role, I don't know, when I was in band, I played the oboe for like, you know, like eight years, you know, I was a part of like, like small town orchestras and stuff. And playing quiet is much harder than playing loud, if that makes sense. And yeah, sometimes yeah. playing like the small little tiny notes and holding them and making a few notes sound amazing is also very difficult. If you can make such a tiny task seem amazing, then you're doing an excellent job. Of course, it also takes an amazing person to do a complex job. So I think Ozzy Davis did do a good job. My favorite is Giancarlo Esposito. I think he is just like slaying everything. I also watched that hour long. Who is Giancarlo Esposito? Bugging out. Bugging out. Who? Which one was bugging out? Oh, the, the <laughs> like, like inside. Like, that's your favorite guy in the movie. Yeah, that guy's so over the top. Though. Yeah, he is over the top. If you want, I watched the hour long documentary. You can even find it on YouTube if you guys want to. It's about the making of Do the Right Thing. Yeah, he is so different from his character. You cannot even imagine. Really, he mm-hmm. is like extremely sophisticated when he's talking. He uh, he gives like some really in depth analysis of his character and the meaning of the film where other people are just saying like more basic stuff. He is like a high level crazy thinker. And that just made me respect his role like so much more. Of course, if I didn't say him, and I think last time I just said John Turturro because he's always amazing. Like yeah. Big Lebowski, this movie, <laughs> anytime. I just watched anything. The Night Of, which isn't a film, but it's But John great. Turturro is very basic in this film as well, right? He's yeah. just an angry racist Italian, right? Well, yeah, he is, but he gets... Like when Spike Lee, Mookie is like asking him, like, who's your favorite basketball player? And he says, Magic Johnson. And he goes, who's your favorite actor? And he goes, Eddie Murphy. And then you can see it on his face that he realizes what Mookie is doing. He's mm-hmm. not just like answering the question. He also is pushing things off to his brother, Pino. And when he yells, get a broom and sweep out front. It's so real. When he <laughs> kicks that pop can or beer can, it's so real. It's not like he was looking for it and they put it in the right spot. It probably just like happened. Yeah. He's killing it. And then also when he's trying to explain to Pino when he says black, white, no, he like can't explain himself. And for an actor who's supposed to be portraying things and portraying a character who can't portray himself seems so in depth. Maybe my answer is John Turturro. I mean, but <laughs> he does a really good job. And I just like, I really feel his hate. And when smiling, like comes up to the window when him and Danny Aiello, his dad are having like this like in-depth talk and he knocks on the window, that wasn't supposed to happen. Like that whole like five, six minute scene is just stuff that happens. Really smiley, just supposed to come up the window and they were cut, but it just like kept going. Like John Turturro really kills it. And I also believe his sweat more than everyone else. I don't think he had like a <laughs> spray bottle that was being sprayed on him. Like for some of the scenes, like in the making of the documentary, they're like literally spraying people with like water. And right. when I saw them do that to John Turturro, it literally looks like he's just yeah, sweating. He's just gross. Yeah. <laughs> he is gross. I um, mean, but let's talk, you want to talk about like Ozzy Davis and Ruby D? They were married. In real life? They, yeah, they've been married for like 30 or more years when this movie took place. That's why Spike Lee like went out and got them because he wanted that to like play through. Ruby D's character is just a little bit like confusing to me. Very I confusing. Guess. Like in the very end, I guess one thing that maybe this is a little off topic, but that resonated for Sometimes me with her performance is at the very end when they're burning the place down, oh, she's yeah. yelling. She's like, burn it down, burn it down. And then. Two minutes later, it cuts her and she's just like sobbing. Yeah. And I, I, I don't understand what the, why yeah. the change there. What am I missing? If I was watching the film, I didn't know Spike Lee made it. And I knew his message was like so overpowering and like dripped and seeped into every like little ounce of the movie. I would probably like it more if it wasn't made by him. Like if I was just watching the movie, I would say that she is mentally unstable. I would say Radio Rahim is mentally unstable. I would say a lot of people in the movie like Ozzy Davis is mentally unstable. Like they have some sort of psychosis going on. Hmm. That's what I perpetuated think. by society. Potentially. potentially. Is what the argument then is, yeah. right? is that our environment has created this type of situation well, for these also, people. Also, right? she of all the people, say the movie takes place in 89 
it was made in, and we'll just assume the movie takes place in 88, 89 because yeah. of like the Yale Howard Beach and bumpers and stuff like that. And a lot of the murders that they reference, like, yeah, to want was to want to the truth, yeah. it's cheating to kill, but this same like hate crimes. I didn't even know about that. I read about that. I didn't notice it the first time I watched oh, it. Oh, yeah. I, I, I just read about it and I was like, no, this is like yeah. Terrible. So when she's yelling, burn it down, to me, I'm imagining her just almost copying like the Ku Klux Klan when they're like burning down her house. When she's a little girl, because she's like her and Ozzy Davis are the only older people that probably were alive when Malcolm X and MLK were alive, you know, because that was 23 years ago, 24 years ago when Malcolm X got killed. Right. From when this movie and a lot of those, even the older guys that are sitting on there, they may have been alive. But one of them is an immigrant because they say he got off the boat, too. And Slick Dick Willie doesn't seem to be that old. You know what I mean? So those are the only two people that have been there. So maybe she just wants to feel as the aggressor or she's i don't know that i mean i think a lot of the characters in the film are not they don't act as a what you would think a rational person acts i agree i I think think there's a lot of mental instability but i think that's super intentional for the purposes of the film like i think spike lee's directive for this film is to show aggravation and frustration and Mm -hmm. how just like greg as you said like an environment can turn someone into you know a very boiled down you can you can boil them down to something really simple, and what happens is just so it many, all goes to so many of them are boiled down, and I think yeah. it's dangerous to have your life rely on one piece of identity. Yeah. Like Radio Rahim, his whole life is that radio. It's literally his name. Well, then that's what, that's why I think a lot of the characters are intentionally simplified. That's why I think the film is very in your face about everything, yeah. right? Because there's less, I don't know. I, I don't know that there's a ton of complexity in a lot of the characters. I think right? some of them are really complex. Uh-huh. The mayor in particular would be the mm-hmm. one that I think is the most complex. Right? I would, I would he kind of so. like goes beyond like someone sounding crazy, someone sounding like, he's almost like the kind of like Malcolm X MLK, right? Where like sometimes he's saying things that just seem completely off base Sometimes he's saying things that seem so eloquent and are accurate, right? Mm-hmm. You can't really tell, like, are you going, should I be believing you? Or are you going too far, maybe like a Malcolm kind of thing? Or are you going like, are it, you're so eloquent, like, this is obviously what we should be doing or mm-hmm. whatever, like an MLK thing. I don't know. I mean, I'm a big Malcolm X fan, so I'm not saying, like, Malcolm X is wrong or anything. But I don't know. I just, I think that most of like John Turturro's character is really simple. Mm-hmm. I think Danny Aiello's character is pretty simple. Do you think so? Spike Lee and Danny Aiello are talking in the documentary, and I've read like articles about it. I read like a million articles about this film, and Danny Aiello thinks that Sal is not a racist person, and Spike Lee like demands that he is a racist person. Do you think Danny Aiello in the movie is, or do you think it's extremely comfortable? We talked about this last time, and it's really tough. I would say if Spike Lee's saying he's a racist, then he is a racist in the movie. That's how it's written. But I don't know that Danny Aiello plays it as if he is a racist, right? Like, I think it's the standard kind of thing that all of us have. We're like, none of us want to admit that we're racist. But as white men, you typically have a view that's different than other people in the world. And you may not want to think of yourself as a racist, but the truth is everybody has racism in them and everybody judges to a certain extent. And so I think that conversation Mm -hmm. between Spike and Danny Aiello is so indicative of racism in America. It's like Spike is saying this is these are racist acts. These are racist thoughts. Well, there's one white guy is saying, like, I don't think so. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm not racist. Like I he played his Danny Aiello played his role as if he was not a racist. But to me, like my perception is a white male. I look at Danny Aiello and I don't see it as overtly racist. Mm. Do you think Spike Lee would say that like Slick Dick Willie and his two pals or Radio Rahim or Mookie are racist? I, I would say Spike Lee would probably say no. Uh, of course he would. But I would say, that. but I would say that you would have to say to a certain extent, yes, certainly against the Koreans at least. Yeah. Do you think I mean, that's a message amount- of the movie that everyone's racist, like a crash basic message? Or do you think that's just something we're taking from it? I would say because it's Spike Lee, I would say that's something we're taking from yeah. it. And that yeah. Spike probably. See, it's so like I, he is really his like own worst advocate. Like Ed, Ed Norton, like was in a film with him and like just said like, you need to stop talking about your movies. I'll talk about them for you. Cause you don't talk about them very well. Like you're like really hurting yourself because his like comments after, I mean, we'll talk about the end of the movie, of course, just like completely like ruin 
a lot of the stuff in the movie for me. Who, Mookie's comments or Spike Lee's Spike comments? Spike Lee's okay. comments, yeah. Well, you want to talk about Mookie? What do you think about Mookie? No? I, I think Mookie is... I think he's a huge piece. Okay. He's like the biggest piece, dude. He's a terrible individual. He's a better piece than other people, though, like Bugging Out. I mean, Bugging Out really has, like, no job, seemingly. Like, no drive of doing anything. At least mm-hmm. Spike, although they allude to the fact that he's not involved in this kid's life, that he's not supporting this kid. He at least is saying these things that he's like, got to get paid, got to make that money, has a job. Is he doing it kind of half-ass? Yes. Like, is he taking 90 minutes to deliver stuff? Yes. But I think that Spike, that is like the, yes, to me, that is like the quintessential young African-American in America. Hmm. I guess I would say it's somebody who has this desire, this drive, but only has opportunities to take these kind of limited jobs, doesn't necessarily see the opportunity for advancement, so therefore doesn't fully apply themselves to the roles that they have. You know, it says he's 25 in the movie. I I think that his Spike's goal was to say this is what the standard African-American man goes through in America. He has problems at home, problems with his family, limited opportunities. He wants to be better, but because his opportunities are so limited what's the point of even applying, you know, like applying yourself to your trade when it's the only thing you can do is deliver pizzas. I don't know. It's an interesting album. Yeah. The laziness is just so detestable and the unwillingness to take any responsibility for his, like he always like constantly changes the subject and puts it back on people. Like in the very beginning, his sister's like, your breath kind of sinks. He's like, I already brushed my teeth. He's like, well, you should do it. She's like, he's like, it's your lip. No matter what, when someone tries to talk to him about serious stuff, or when he talks to his sister again, she's like, well, when are you going to move out? When are you going to do this? Like, you need to take some responsibility because she's doing okay. And he's just like, don't come in his house. Like, he just constantly, like, pushes everything off of him. I don't know. I just feel like he takes What's him Spike out. trying to say with that, then? I don't know if he's trying to say anything. I, I, I mean, I'm sure he is. It just, like, to me, I just find him, like, extremely detestable. I almost like bugging out more because he at least, like, cares about something. Mookie, like, all he cares about is money. Like, the beginning of the movie, he's counting his money. He wants to get paid. Sal's, like, business is ruined. And all he, he wants, wants to get is, paid early. And he wants yeah, to right. get paid. All he wants to do is get paid early. Danny Aiello says, I don't care about money. I, you know, like, I, I really cared about this. And I Mookie built cared. this place. Yeah. Here, give me my, give yeah. me my 250 bucks. All I hear yeah. from Mookie is me, 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 me. That's, yeah. like, all I hear. And but I just, is that, I is like that a message? That To me, that's, like, a big message is a lot of the people that are in the movie or me, 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 or like, hey, you're in, like, the three guys in the block. You're in my, you're in my neighborhood. Like, I, why don't I open a business? Why haven't I had this? Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's a lot of this self-reflection, like, why don't I have these things? Mm-hmm. And I think that that is intentional by Spike, where it's saying that, and, and I think it's, it is most demonstrated in the final scene, where, which was my most surprising scene, where Mookie says, I want to get paid, the guy and Danny Aiello gives him 500, 500 bucks, bucks. Yeah. And he only owes him 250 Mookie throws money back at him and says like, no, I owe you 50 bucks. Yeah, and but then, then he, but then he it, takes it. Yeah. Right. And it's that, that is so confusing to me. And I have not been able to connect of what Spike is trying to say with that. Is he saying like, we have been oppressed for so long that we are entitled to this, that we're entitled to anything we can take because we've been had we've had so much taken for so long like i i don't know that was i know we do favorite scenes later but spoiler alert that was my favorite scene Hmm. only because it's the only scene in the movie that is surprising to me and that Hmm. i can't like most of the other scenes i'm like okay like hey you guys are yelling at the guy who's gentrifying the neighborhood like shocker right oh you guys are yelling at the people that are like opening a business and that are koreans like in your neighborhood like okay shocking right like you guys are yelling that there's no black people on the wall like all these things are like fairly explainable you can understand the anger but i don't get why he takes 500 i don't understand that and i'm wondering if it's this me 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 mentality which is almost like malcolm x which is it has to be me 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 for you to get 20 percent of what you deserve mm. you have to be asking for 500 percent of what you deserve i kind of took it differently i think like I feel like Spike Lee's message from the film is just that the hate and the racism is so in many ways irrational, right? And like all these different characters are yelling and hating on each other. And this environment is turning them into just irrational individuals that you can't really explain because as you know, we're watching the film, 
a lot of the questions that come to me are like, why, why, like, why is that what they're saying? Why are they arguing over this? Why are they yelling at each other? Why are they burning down the pizza shop? Like, why does this guy feel like he needs to come in and blast his music? I don't get it. Right. Like I understand there's this racial tension, but I also feel like to some degree there's a, they're, they're putting it out there that just this environment is turning people from less into, you know, complex individuals, but these confused, these difficult to understand. Ah, yeah. I, don't, I, I would love if that was like really what Spike was trying to do. I mean, I would love if I knew Spike didn't make the movie and that the message of the movie was when the Korean guy says, we're the same. You know, I would love if that was what it was about. But I would say that, but they're not the same, right? I mean, yeah. like Korean Americans have not had the same hardships as African-Americans. Like they were not literally enslaved. Mm -hmm. I mean, we had Chinese people that built the railroads, but I mean, that's still like the problems that Chinese Americans or Korean Americans or just Asian Americans in general have felt is nothing compared to African-Americans over, you know, the course of time. And so I think that them not accepting that is that scene, I think is intentional by Spike to be like, we're not the same. Like we have definite different problems. And our problems are much greater and harder to overcome than your problem. That's true. But everyone's everything that happens in this movie that that is bad stems from individual sensitivities or just anger at the others, right? And then you have Samuel L. Jackson and his radio box, the outside observer, yeah. trying to tell everyone to chill, and no one's chilling. And, and I, I feel like Samuel L. Jackson's kind of like viewers of the movie right because he's, yeah. he's disconnected from everything that's actually happening and he's the one that's delivering this message of everyone effing chill you know he's yelling into the radio I don't he's know. almost like the uh, eyes of god kind of yeah, like I in, would in really gatsby like, right yeah, yeah i would like it a lot if that was more of the th the theme if that was more well i mean you're highlighting that pe people are just continuing to do the wrong thing i mean why does spike call it doing the right like do the right thing why mm -hmm. why does he Yes. Name it that. Why does the mayor be like, you know, always do the right thing? Doctor. <laughs> yeah, Giancarlo Esposito in like when in his interview in the documentary, that's what exactly what he says. He thinks the movie's called Do the Right Thing, but no one in the film ever does, does the, right, the right, thing. right thing. He says Mookie, uh, Sal, Bugginell, no one does the right thing. The whole time it's just constantly leading to this thing. No one is doing the right thing, but he says to you, we should do the right thing. And I love I mean, another reason I I'm liking Giancarlo Esposito so much is because that's what he's getting from it. And I love what he's getting from mm. it. Do we think that's what Spike was trying? No, no, not at all. Then why did, why do we think Spike called it do the right thing? I, I don't know. know. So do the right thing is like an excerpt from a quote from Malcolm X. What's the quote? Do we know? I don't remember, but Let I know see. that that's where it comes from. Interesting. I know we wanted to talk about actors, but you literally can't do anything in this movie without dripping down into like what the major theme i mean and that's what i mean the whole that's movie. why the movie came onto the list though yeah like what was I, I guess this is so this is one of the things we want to talk about is why did the movie come onto the list why wasn't on the list beforehand yeah. right a bigger question of where is it going to be at a mm -hmm. 20 year anniversary list right it, i would say this movie on the current list at 96 is serving the purpose of sort of like the racial tension movie right what mm -hmm. was it on the first list well was so there's Mr. smith goes to washington or well there's still in the heat of the night with Sidney poitier which i really really like a lot then there's also to kill a mockingbird on then, the original is that not on the no it is it is on the yeah, new one as well so it, i'm pretty sure so is to kill i know on the new list Kill a Mockingbird is in to the kill heat. a mockingbird actually increased so yeah. it went from 34 to 20 and then in the heat of the night with Sidney Poitier, and then also uh, 12 Angry Men. In the Heat of the Night was not on the first list. What? It, it is on the second list at 75. That's like the one movie that they added. I feel like they dropped so many money movies, but adding In the Heat of the Night, I think, was good. I mean, we'll talk about it eventually. And then also 12 Angry Men also has to do with race a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Le I, less so, probably, for me. We'll do 12 Angry Men pretty soon, actually. It, is this one the most recent film that's... For sure. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Those sure. other movies are much okay. okay. Is this movie going to be, is it going to take these places because it's more recent though? And because Radio Rahim is essentially Eric Gardner in New York City. Like it's the exact I same mean, he's situation. essentially like so many people. 
But right I mean, now, that's you're totally like right. you're choked by the police and you're killed. I mean, that's yeah. like, yeah, that literally just happened two yeah. years ago. Mm-hmm. Right. Again. Or I guess not again. So you would argue that this is going up in the in the rankings then? I, I, I'm not. I'm 31 years old. I was not involved. I was not alive during the civil rights era. I was not really. I, I don't really know. I'm just starting to become an adult and kind of understand racial tension in America. I was too young to understand the L.A. riots and Rodney King, but. I would say that the last two years, racial tension in America has been, the, for me, the worst that it's ever been in my lifetime. Hmm. So, like I said, I was too young to process L.A. riots. Don't really know. People say that was worse. Obviously, you know, the physical damage was worse. Things don't really seem to be getting better. This movie mirrors today's life very, very closely. And so I think this movie, and we talked about it in the last one, but I think this movie is going to skyrocket on the list, potentially 50 spots. I wouldn't be surprised if this is in the top 50. I don't have a great argument against that. But the question is, the only argument to me is... Other than the film itself. Yeah, the only argument to me is, is there another film? Do you choose Glory? Because there's other movies, right, that hit on racial issues in different mediums, right? So Glory is like military focus, right? Do you think that that's a better representation than this of like kind of maybe the urban setting for it, right? Right. I was going to say maybe it has like, it's very controversial and it has a lot of power and influence with the racial tension theme, Mm -hmm. but is the rest of the movie so good that it's one of the hundred greatest movies of all time? It could most certainly be maybe the number one most controversial film of all time or the greatest like racial tension film of all time but is it one of the hundred greatest films of all time i guess mm. we'll talk about what defines great film on like a supplemental of course but we have to throw in there it's american films too yeah right? american films yeah so i would say some it, so i guess we the, could to me this movie is certainly not one of the hundred greatest films ever made but that's what i think if you are taking everyone takes different things out of film mm-hmm. right yeah and so if you're the type of person who's looking for a story or an acting or something that's like some enthralling kind of narrative, certainly not. You're going to hate this movie, right? Yeah. If you're the type of person in film that you care most about the meaning of a film, and the example I always give is 2001 A Space Odyssey. It's mm-hmm. like the most deep movie I've probably ever seen, but it's super boring and long, right? It's like if that's your definition of a great movie, then you would certainly have to put this in the top 100 given the current state of affairs. Now, would this drop off 50 years from now? Let's hope. You know, let's hope that this movie doesn't sit on the list, right? Yeah, that would be good. Because if racial tension dies down in America in 50 years or 100 years, Mm -hmm. then what has this movie added? Or why would that movie be on there? Mm -hmm. You can only say that it contributed to a social progression, right? Yeah, I agree. But is that deserving to be on the 100 greatest movies list? Will that be remembered? This is a movie to me that will not be remembered. Like, it's very difficult for me to look at The Godfather and think that The Godfather is going to be off the list in 100 years. Mm-hmm. I feel like that movie has to be. It's so influential for me in film, and it's so perfect. This movie, if things get better, I don't see it being on the list. If because it's reason for being on the list. Exactly. Less relevant. Sure, exactly. Sure. And if things do get better, or if things don't get better, then it just continues to climb, and it becomes one of the top 10 movies of all time mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe not, maybe not top 10, maybe top 30. What do you guys think about some of the more technical aspects of the film? We talked last time about it. Uh, Spike Lee's directing is very unique. So I <laughs> have seen a few Spike Lee movies, seen He Got Game, Malcolm X, seen Inside Man. I mean, he has had trouble with studios. I mean, when he made Red Hook and like, a few years ago, he didn't have studio funding. And I think it was like Chris Rock was like in the audience at like a film festival and asked him a question about it. And he went off on like a tirade about studios and stuff like that. But in since like this film, he's only had Inside Man turn like a positive box office profit as like a feature film. Interesting. Which is not really his goal, though. It doesn't yeah. seem like his goal. Yeah. Inside Man is very different than every other Spike yeah. movie to me. Like, I don't really see that Inside Man really has any like, deep meaning behind it, other than it truly is like a mystery kind of thriller yeah. blockbuster kind of. Like, that's really what it is. It's got a blockbuster cast. 
it has kind of a like twist ending, right? Mm -hmm. It's like about a bank robbery. It's got, I mean, like to me, that's a blockbuster. Yeah. And it's like more of a Spielberg movie, less of a Spike Lee movie, but you can still see there's elements in Inside Man that are Spike Lee, like, the Denzel, like the Denzel where he's like concentration kind of camp stuff. Well, Denzel where he's like moving and the camera's like based on Denzel and Inside Man and he's like kind of moving and everything's like moving around him and he's almost like kind of like in this daze like craze. Yeah. Those are the kind of things that Spike Lee does and here the crooked camera angles. Yep. Right? Yeah, the Dutch angles. I think each film he does, he like takes like one gimmick and he just like beats it to death. Yeah. So would you say the gimmick in this film is those crooked Dutch camp? angles? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The just like the slanted angles. view. I mean, and it seems too in your face, right? Like, it, uh, I think it's so there's much no, of the film. There's no like subtlety to it. It's like okay, obviously you're looking through this from a crooked lens, right? Or there's many shots that are through uh, screen doors, right? And so it's like obviously some sort of filter, or mm -hmm. there's something that's kind of distorting your image of what's on the outside. And these things are really like very very apparent things to me, and really don't mean that much to me individually they're like okay they're kind of contributing to it more important to me is the heat and the sweat and the noise there's so much noise yeah, in this movie and he does a great job with that the movie is so annoying it's yes, just like it's, it's, it's just, just like weighing on you and that's like what i think that's you, why it's so draining to watch yeah i mean you can see these people that are just like they they have they're getting beat down you're getting beat down with this noise yeah the and I, I don't know if I've talked about this in another podcast, but another example of where the director does a very good job of making the viewer feel the same way mm -hmm. as the person in the movie to me is Capote. Mm -hmm. So in Capote, this whole thing, Truman Capote, he's writing in cold blood. He just wants these murders to be put to death. It's like the big thing. And it is dragging. And he's just like, he really is waiting for this to happen, waiting and waiting, and waiting. Capote is like very, very long and it's very slow. And then all of a sudden when that murder happens, it happens like, uh, I mean, it's like instantaneous when he like finally finds out like about the murder. And it's like, you just waited so long. You're waiting to kind of figure out all this information. And then it's like, boom, and it happens in an instant. Right. And I kind of feel like they're making the viewer feel that the same way that kind of Truman is feeling it the whole time when he's trying to understand this right yeah and the same thing i think spike is doing very very well in this movie with us which is tons of noise really really hot super close camera angles like everything is in your face and you're just like god get out of my face right <laughs> and you can understand he's trying to give you this feeling that you know blacks have had in america for the last you know 100 200 years right like that they just have been completely just like you push and you push and you push and you push people and at some point, you can't judge the outcome because the cause of it is so very apparent. Yeah, the the noise has just got annoying to me. Like I couldn't even hear some of the dialogue. Sometime I don't know. I just that's the point, right? Yeah, but I just I could just put needles into my feel the same thing. It just like too, it, it just like everything is so heavy handed. It's like too heavy handed to it me. Is, it is. Yeah, Spike is not exactly the king of salt. Yeah, it just it's just so. So, like, you see here, Timmy, like, the theme, the angles, the noise, the color palette. And also, I know I know he wants me to feel hot, and I guess I feel it sometimes, but literally, I, I think in the first 11 minutes, characters say it's hot, or some version of it's hot, 15 times. Really? You could probably show me that with your directing instead of just telling me, yeah. like, to my face constantly. Yeah. I just feel like that's poor storytelling. That's probably my biggest problem with the whole movie is just how in your face it is. Every which, single thing. Which, you know, admittedly, that's probably extremely intentional by Spike Lee. So maybe it's just a personal taste thing, right? Yeah. yeah. So what do you guys, Greg, you mentioned your favorite scene. Yeah, my favorite scene, it, it's, like I said, it's the only scene that surprised me. It's the one at the very end after everything's been destroyed. Yeah. My most puzzling scene, I told you, was Ruby D, like, going both directions. Could not figure that one out. But it was less impactful than this one. At the very end of the movie, Mookie goes to, after everything's burned and completely just destroyed, goes and asks for his money, says, you only owe me 250 takes 300 says, I owe you 50 bucks, but then takes the $500 and leaves. And I don't know, don't know what Spike means there. And I, it, it's rare, I think, in a movie that I'm just completely lost of what, I don't even have an idea of what the director is doing. That was so 
shocking to me and completely against what I would have thought would happen. And I don't, I really don't know what Spike is trying to say. So they kind of almost reconcile before the end. Like Danny Aiello says, it's going to be another hot one today. It's like they talk normal for like a line or two of dialogue and then they walk away from each other. Mm -hmm. It is very confusing. Is it just to say like, it's going to go back to the way it is? You know what I mean? Like we have these outbursts, we have LA riots, we have these things, we have, we seem to have these outbursts, but then we just go back to the way it is and we don't even talk about it. Yeah, some critics said that, some other critics were saying that, uh, a writer that was saying that she thought that they were both upset that things were going to go back the way they was, that why can't we just work together and eat together and live together and things be fine. She thought they were both admitting that things weren't going good, but, and they wanted them to be going better. I mean, that's a very positive outlook. And I would love, I would love to have an extremely positive outlook for the movie and like pick up. It's like positive meetings because the positive meetings that are hidden in there mm-hmm. or that I'm picking up because maybe I just want them to be more positive meetings. Like I want things to be excellent all the time between all sorts of people. Yeah. Right. Things happen in this movie that we can all look at and we can all say are bad things. For example, Radio Rahim getting choked and dying and being killed, right? But why does Spike let that guy die and not somebody like the mayor? So someone like the mayor is pretty, just a nice guy. Mm-hmm. You know, like maybe he's got, he's kind of the town drunk, but he's not hurting anyone. He's saving kids in the street. He's yeah. like a... He's like a beacon of morality in sort of a a neighborhood that lacks it, right? But he doesn't do that. Instead, he has you kill the people that are uh, being aggressive to Sal, right? Saying, put some shit on the wall. Put some, you know, we need some brothers on the wall, right? Right. We need some, I'm going to come into this guy's store or into this guy's restaurant, and I'm going to blast music in his restaurant when there's other people that are trying to eat. And why, so why did he use those people and not somebody that could be more of like a martyr type figure. It's hard to say. So Spike Lee wrote the movie in two weeks. You know, he wrote it straight. That's what he said. Two weeks. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. It's very (laughs) crazy. So I just always feel like he's writing his movies to, to spin it like constantly in his, I don't want to say, I guess I do in his favor. You know what I mean? He wants things to go. I would, like we were talking before, like what if, because Raider, he was like choking Sal. He's like choking him. And I just get the feeling that he would just kill him if police hadn't shown up or Pino and Vito weren't like trying to drag people away from them. Like what if there weren't all those people around outside and Raider, he is choking Sal. The cops show up. They say, stop choking him. He continues to choke him. And then they shoot, shoot Radio Rahim. Do you, how different do you think the movie would be? I just think there's a hundred different points just like that. Like, why didn't, why weren't Sal and Radio Rahim fighting? And then the mayor tries to split them up and somehow he has like a heart attack and he just passes out there. I don't know. Purposely, Spike Lee as a, like a plotter for writing is doing an excellent job as of making it like as nasty and gritty and poignant as possible. And that's why he chooses obviously the choking. I mean, it's like a more visceral thing than, you know, it's like, stabbing killings and things like that are always like you know or just very difficult to process as opposed to just shooting somebody which Mm -hmm. can be oh you make a decision in an instant and then it ends up having ramifications yeah i understand whereas like if you're actually choking somebody to death you've choked them for um, you know several minutes before they actually will die right it's a very very like raw kind of feeling and i wonder if maybe what spike's trying to say there where he's like He's showing like African-Americans, we are angry, we want our fair share, and we're trying and we get so close. And maybe he, Radio Raheem would kill Sal, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe he's saying like, it might be okay if that were to happen. Finally, we would get something. But just as we're like trying to get our just due or our Mm. revenge, we never get it. And we are the victims again. Like, I don't know. Yeah, it is a little bit odd to me that the police show up and there's like all these people finding and the only people they grab are Giancarlo Esposito and Radio Rahim. That's pure racism. For I know sure. that's really bad. To yeah. me, that was really bad. I was like, I mean, killing Radio Rahim, someone dying is tragic. Like it's not a good thing. You know what I mean? Radio Rahim is resisting really bad. Should he be doing that? Probably no. Should he get killed? Definitely no. 
But for them just to grab those two cats and mm-hmm. not... <laughs> yeah, and not Sal or John Turturro. seems strange to I, me. I can't remember. Were all of the cops white? No, yes. no, no. There's Oh, there's, is there one black cop? There's, uh, there's a black policewoman at least. In that scene, though? Where she run, she's running behind the car. She, I saw her like two or three times because I went back to see it because Smiley yells one of the police was black. Hmm. So I went back to like double check and yeah, there... Is one. I mean, but that other cop, the guy he with yells the line, that he yells, one of them, one of them is black. What when when someone asks, like, what what the cops do or something like that? No, he's just yelling it in the chaos. He just yells oh, really? it out. Smiley just yells it out. One of the cops. What was does black. he say? He just says one of the cops was black. That's all he yells. Huh. Hmm. Um, I mean, the other cop is like telling because Danny Aiello's son plays the like jerky cop that kills radio rahim oh the other cop is like that's enough like stop but it just like doesn't doesn't work i mean it's like a crazy intense situation and i also am like so curious as to why there's all these people constantly everywhere but when i watch the documentary because they filmed the movie on like a real street like they took down crack houses like they built up these buildings they built at the front they built the whole pizza store they built the whole korean market People were like coming in trying to buy stuff because they thought it was real. <laughs> and the whole time they're building this, there's always people just standing around. Like just people that... Like the three guys on the side no, of the street. it's literally right exactly like there's just people standing around. There's people coming in like off the street asking for work. And they're like, they just give them a sledgehammer and like, we'll pay you this much a day. People are doing it. It just really was that like Ruby D and Ozzy Davis, they both say that they're basing their characters off of people they knew when they were kids. Like those were real people. So, that, I mean... The movie feels very real, even though so much irrational stuff happens. I think that mm-hmm. it has a true magic about it in that way. It is real, and even though it's in your face, too. Yeah. Even though the subtlety I wish it wasn't somewhat, so, somewhat lacking. I w- wish it wasn't so much in your face. But but I would say, you know, is the subtlety lacking when I, like, repeatedly ask questions here about, like, what does he mean here? And, like, I can't explain it. I think you know? there's a difference between, like, intentionally confusing and subtle enough that you can't get something. Yeah. And I think this movie has a lot, and maybe this is my simpleton brain talking, but I think this movie has a lot of intentionally confusing to drive to drive aggravation. So, to us, it may be confusing, but, I mean, one, yeah, of the that's, most, that's, yeah. one of the most famous and infamous things about the movie that is, like, quoted on almost every article about this when they interview Spike Lee is people ask him, well, did Mookie do the right thing? Like, that's, like, a huge thing. Did Mookie do the right thing by throwing the trash can at the end? And he yells hate when he throws it in. And hate and love is obviously, like, a huge yeah. theme. And, again, yeah. it's, like, way over the top with Radio Raheem giving you, like, the speech with his knuckles. <laughs> but, golden uh, knuckle. Uh, yeah. Still, like, do you think he did the right thing? And Spike Lee always says, only white people ask me if he did the right thing. I guess you can take that however you want. But he all, that's, like, the most famous quote of him about that movie. Well, but, okay. Couldn't you say that Spike Lee says that because p- white people ask him that because of white guilt? And most African-Americans would say he obviously didn't do the right thing. Why is that even a question? I don't know what he means by I mean, that's what I would assume. Mm. Anytime someone like critiques the movie, talking about like the police or the riot, like burning down the pizza place. He always says, Spike Lee always says, well, you're just valuing like white property over black lives. That's like another constant. Interesting. Almost a reprimand that critics get. I mean, of course, some critics at the time were very insensitive, saying that the movie would just cause riots in black communities, which seems very insensitive. And Spike Lee was very upset about that, saying that you don't right. think that we as black people can understand like the difference between like fiction and reality and stuff like that. I mean, the movie is extremely controversial. It has like so much hate and love. It's very self-prophetic in its own way, I think. What's your, uh, what's your favorite scene? Uh, my favorite scene is the end like when they're the police show up like they're like choking Radio Rahim and they're arresting Giancarlo Esposito and Giancarlo Esposito is like really fighting them like yeah. it looks so insanely real the mob is everywhere it's crazy that's the time I like the heavy-handed craziness I just if it wasn't in earlier it would stand out more to me Giancarlo Esposito is so good like he literally looks like he's like breaking his neck twisting and him yelling like Radio Rahim Radio Rahim is like haunting. Like I wouldn't be, I would not be upset if yelling Radio Rahim was one on was on AFI's top 100 quotes of all time. Mm-hmm. It's as powerful to me as the kid yelling Shane at the end of Shane. That's I, really interesting. It, you guys both picked that scene. Well, he well, picks the very end. Yeah, I, yeah. Pick, I pick like the scene after that. And where, I feel bad for Radio Rahim. Like 
he got a little crazy. I mean, some people would say, some people might say like, I don't know if he got what his, he deserved. Like, I'm not saying that, you know what I mean? But if he, right. but yeah. like, it, it's very hard to understand. Like I think about it. I still think about it. You know, when I see stuff on the news, this is what I think about. I mean, I love film obviously, but I'll think about this scene in this movie and like that happening for a long time. Like I really feel that bugging out John Carlos Esposito He's really upset. You know what I mean? I mean, he's very misguided, but he's very passionate. And I feel the passion. And that, that was my favorite thing about it was feeling those guys passion that they want to do something. Of course you want to do something. Like I, after I watched this movie, I read the autobiography of Malcolm X. I've read it again since then. Mm-hmm. Like it is extremely fascinating to see his changes, his feelings. That's the deepest I've got into the mindset. Cause I can't understand it. Greg's right. I have no idea. But reading that book, especially since it was writ like right when he died, like, it's not like a biography written like 30, 40, 50 years later. It was written 65, 66, you know? I, I like the passion. What about you? Uh, that was probably my least favorite scene. Because uh-huh. you have all this aggravation and irritation building up throughout the film. And then they have the climax of the movie, which is just even more in-your-face aggravation. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, this, this terrible situation that kind of happens. So what do you like? The ice on the nipple scene then, Paul? <laughs> I thought you liked the three guys chatting. Yeah, I, I like the three guys. I like when the mayor goes in and talks about his beer too. Those are both probably my oh, favorite scenes. See, this is but a funny movie. I mean, the, the, it's a very. I pick those scenes because they are the funny scenes. They are the lighter scenes. They are the least frustrating scenes, mm-hmm. right? And for me, watching movies is more about entertainment. I'm less about the art or the message. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this movie is very strong in its message. So I have a very hard time enjoying it. Yeah. Uh, and it's obviously not a film that's really supposed to be enjoyed so much as drive, drive a point across. So your favorite scene, my least favorite scene, anything where we have a little bit of a break from the, uh, what I'll just call the aggravation. I'll take <laughs> the aggravation to me, even though I hate it a lot of the time afterwards, I, I like it that it's giving me, or maybe, I don't know, Spike's trying to do it, but I appreciate Spike for this reason, that that aggravation, if that's like the aggravation I'm feeling during this movie, if that's that's not even like 1.1% of what, say, a black person is, has felt at one point Very by true. some bigoted person, then it makes me try to be like a better person or push better policies or, you know what I mean, be better in my own life. I mean, lead by example is the best that I can do and the best that I yeah, or just more understanding. Yeah, you know? yeah. No, I try. I yeah, I try extremely hard. This movie, I think, has made me open my mind a lot. Mm-hmm. Even though I don't necessarily like Spike Lee and his like sort of militant views sometimes, and I don't like his so much heavy handedness. Yeah, I don't. I still don't know if it's one of the greatest hundred films of all time, most controversial, most thought about. I'm fine with where it is because if it's on the list, I'm fine with it. Yeah. It is a very distinct movie. Yeah. Grades, then? We've got favorite scenes. Greg, what was your grade? My grade for this one is pretty much solely because of the impact of the movie and what the movie's trying to say. Less about the movie actually being rewatchable from Mm -hmm. kind of an enjoyment perspective, but it certainly would be rewatchable from a... I feel like you could rewatch the movie and get something new out of it every single time. Something that you... I mean, this was my second time seeing the movie... And I picked up on several things that I didn't see the first time. So I, I say it's an A minus because I think that the impact to society is too big to ignore. And I think that this movie will be in the top 50 if they do a 20 year list next year. So I think that this movie will skyrocket up the list. I, I disconnected entirely from the message of the film and thought purely of the enjoyment factor or just it basically my grade was a C minus and that's because of the aggravation that this film caused me Greg I actually took the exact opposite approach in you t- you say that the message was too important to ignore I guess I kind of ignored the message or I I, <laughs> I, I, I found the movie so aggravating that I have a hard time giving it a positive rating so I went with a C minus because Every time I've watched this film, it is very difficult to watch. And 
from my perspective, as we've talked in previous podcasts, like I'm very much about the enjoyment factor and the enjoyment factor on this movie is very low. I don't refute that the message is a very important one or that it's a, uh, a message that should not be delivered. I think those are good points. But for me, low grade simply relates to the difficulty of watching the film. And do you think it should be on the list then, Paul, or do you think not? I, I, I think it probably should. Yeah, um, because of the message that it's delivering. Mm. Is there another movie that you'd put on in its place, right? That's the question, Mike. Yeah. You seem, we probably have to put on some sort of movie that talks about racial inequality, racial injustice in some capacity. Absolutely. What movie is that if it's not this movie, right? That has to be the question that you ask yourself. And so if that's the question, then maybe I should be giving this film a much higher grade, but for the purposes of the way that I looked at it. And your enjoyment. I mean, you you... You grade movies a lot of time based on not the depth of the movie, more of like as a true just like viewer, did I like it, did I not like it? And it's not that enjoyable of a movie to watch. Right. You know? I, I am the simpleton of this podcast. No, it's fine to like things for why you like them. Like some people play golf because they like that it's hard and they're always trying to improve it. And other people like it because they like to walk with their friends and smoke cigars and drink beers. You know what I mean? It's not to, there's no way to say that how you value a movie is any better or worse. I think anyway, I mean, I'm just going to split the difference between you. I don't think it's very enjoyable except for the really funny parts. And I do think it's message is amazing. Not being racist. If that's the message I'm taking from it is perhaps one of the best messages that you can give <laughs> to people. So, I mean, I'm going to give it just a flat B. I would love for it to stay on the list. I don't want it to skyrocket or anything crazy huge. And I hope Greg is right. I hope that it stays on the list. And then I hope that people look back on it and they say, Oof, I'm glad things aren't like that anymore. That would be my dream. That's what I would love. I'm a huge Malcolm X fan and I would hope that he could see what's going on or is going to happen in the future and say honestly to himself that he thinks things are getting better. The movie has such ties to Malcolm X, Martin Luther King. I mean, obviously the quotes at the end, Ozzie Davis is the man that gave the eulogy at Malcolm X's funeral. I didn't know that. Yeah. So he even has an excerpt at the end of Alex Haley's like co-written autobiography with Malcolm X at the very end of it. The movie has a lot of power in that community and I hope it spreads to all American people can enjoy it and hopefully people all over the world, but especially American people because of our past. Our grades, for whatever it's worth, our grades vary more in this for this movie than any of the season one movies. So oh. Paul's C minus to my A minus. The only one that gets even close is Yankee Doodle Dandy, where uh, <laughs> you, Isan, you gave it a B minus and I gave it a D. So, but that's still not as I big gave of a you a B minus. I should probably go back on that. <laughs> <laughs> I should probably definitely lower that. I, it was the second or third movie we've watched. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. as we watch more movies, I get like a wider range and I'm like, <laughs> I mean, but we said Yankee Doodle. I remember saying Yankee Doodle should because of, fall. Yes. And you said because of the performance that it was one of this, you know, it was the first time that somebody had yeah. really like transformed into the person. Yeah, by, I mean, yeah. I care a lot about acting. I care a lot about technical stuff. I care a lot about theme. I care a lot about film in general. I just, Yankee Doodle Danny was not, yeah. not, not but doing a big, it for me. But a big swing on Do the Right Thing for us. So, yeah. Yeah. I think contra- controversial, again, it yep. is 100% controversial. So, recommendations? Okay, so I'm going to do one and then Greg's going to do one because he has a special one he wants you guys to do. I mean, for me, if Do the Right Thing falls off for me the like in my mind like when i was a kid the number one movie for me that has to do with racial aspects racial tension and me like questioning what i've seen like older people do and like kind of vowing to try and live my life a little bit in a different way or to try and see things from other people's shoes is in the heat of the night with sydney Poitier. he's a sensational actor and takes place like during the civil rights movement when the naacp is like continuing to move around and do a lot of things and it takes place in the deep south that's the movie for me that i would recommend that you if you want to watch something that has some higher entertainment value not quite so in your face racial tensions but it's still a the most predominant theme i would recommend that and if you guys are looking for another spike lee movie uh i would recommend malcolm x so malcolm x has a lot of the similar themes obviously that 
do the right thing has, but it has a few differences. One, it's very, very long, so prepare yourself for it. It's almost four hours, a very long movie, but it, it has one of the best performances I've ever seen with Denzel as Malcolm X. So it's going to give you another Spike Lee movie, but it's going to feel different than this movie. So it's kind of a unique one. If there are other Spike Lee movies that if you were to kind of choose, they feel kind of similar to this one. This is similar, but it's still enough of a departure that I think you'll be entertained by Malcolm X if you choose to watch it. So what movie are we going to be doing next time? So next time we're doing 1971's The Last Picture Show. Tune in next time for that episode. And with that, I think we're all wrapped up here. This is Greg. This is Isan. This is Paul. Have a good one.